Respected elders and brothers, mothers and sisters, dear students, dear listeners, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah, we have been blessed to uh, gather again, and this time, inshallah, starting a new surah after we completed Surah Fath. Alhamdulillah, we're going to be covering now Surah Maryam. Uh, it is a, a surah that was revealed in Mecca and comprises of 89 verses. Uh, one of the interesting stories that's connected with the surah is when the Battle of Badr took place and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through his will removed many of the extremely staunch enemies of Rasulullah from amongst the Quraysh the kuffar of Quraysh they said that let us try to uh, give some gifts to the Abyssinian king Najashi and let us send uh, two men with some gifts and try our best to uh, have him turn over all those who are taking shelter in his land and then we can kill them in lieu of those that were killed from amongst us uh, on the day of Badr. So the disbelievers of Mecca, they sent Amr bin al-As and Abdullah bin Abi Rabi'ah. At that time, Amr bin al-As was not a Sahabi. So uh, uh, they sent uh, these two individuals and to go eloquently present their case in front of Najashi. The Prophet ﷺ heard about this. And so the Prophet ﷺ sent Amr bin uh, and he wrote a letter to Najashi and was sent this letter with Amr ibn Umayyah when he came to Najashi and Najashi read the letter that was sent by Rasulullah he called those Meccans Muslims who were staying in his, uh, under his protection and he asked Ja'far ibn Abi Talib uh, and those Muhajireen that were there he asked, he called them and then he called the monks and the people of the church and, and asked them to come. And then he asked Jafar radiallahu anhu. He said, Hal Do you have anything with you that this man Muhammad ibn Abdullah claims to have received from Allah? Can you present any of the things that he says he has and from Allah? So Jafar said, yes, I have. I can share with you something. So Najashi then told him, okay, recite it to me. Iqra'ahu alayya, recite it. So Ja'far ibn Abi Talib at that time, he chose these verses of Surah Maryam. And he recited, Kafha ya Ain Saad. And it comes in riwayah, فَبَكَى وَاللَّهِ النَّجَاشِ حَتَّى أَخْضَلَ لِحْيَتَهُ وَبَكَتْ أَسَاقِفَتُهُمْ حَتَّى أَخْضَلُوا لِحَاهُمْ حِينَ سَمِعُوا مَا يُتْلَى عَلَيْهِمْ The Najashi, when he heard these verses of Surah Maryam, he wept he wept so much that his beard became wet with tears and the monks around him also began weeping until also their long beards became wet with tears and then Najashi said so he said indeed I swear uh, by the one by the book that Musa brought indeed what you are reciting comes from the same source 
as the previous books like Torah came from. They're coming from the same source. I can just feel it. That they have the same type of message and the same nur in it. And then he told these two individuals, Amr al-As and Abdullah bin Rabi'ah, who came from Mecca, he said, Intaliqa, go back, go away from here. Fawallahi la uslimuhum ilaykuma abadan. I will never turn over these sahab, these, these companions of Muhammad to you. And so you've heard this story before, but uh, since this is that surah that we're going to be covering that had such a profound effect on Najashi and the monks around him. One thing we learn from here is that we should recite from the Quran definitely at various occasions we should recite Quran all the time not all occasions we should recite Quran but we should definitely try to choose something that matches the occasion otherwise it's a mismatch so this is real you know there are many verses to read you attend a wedding you don't want to be reading the verses of um, of death and dying and at the time of death, you don't want to be eulogizing someone. You don't want to be reading the verses of marriage. You know, but when, you don't have, when we don't have ilm, we don't have knowledge, then, uh, you know, and you're just a pharmacist, as they say. If a pharmacist without, uh, who's not even a pharmacist, that's or someone who's just in the dispensary, handing out the guy, the boy, you know? <laughs> the boy who runs around uh, and he, in, in back home. And he gives, he says, hey, give this one, give that one. He runs and he doesn't know anything. He do whatever the pharmacist tells him, he does that. So if someone has the Quran, but they have no knowledge of what it is, they can make major mistakes. I heard one complaint of, of a real story of someone who said that this young Hafiz, he read a certain passage of the Quran at a marriage, and then he translated it as well. He read <laughs> in the marriage the verses related to multiple marriages. Right? So then they said, where did you get this from man? So then we tell people, listen, at least mashallah, we're happy you know how to recite Quran with Tajweed. At least ask, okay, ask, you know, before you go ahead on a mic and start reciting. Make mashura, see where, what, should be, what you should read, or what you should read. Otherwise people, they, they think this is what your teachers have taught you. So anyway, so here he chose these verses, all right? Because it shows the, the, the beautiful story of Maryam and Isa salam, the background to that, and it builds this uh, you know, connection with the people who are listening to it. So Alhamdulillah, the Qur'an is, is amazing hidayah for the ones who want to search for it. Isn't that amazing? That they're non-stop non-Muslims, till today, hundreds of them accepting Islam by the day, by the month. And at the same time, there's thousands of Muslims leaving Islam every month as well. There's thousands who are born Muslims from Muslim homes, subhanAllah, they've memorized the Qur'an. But then they say, this stuff doesn't make sense to me. While on the other hand, there's people who grew up in, the, in a church, in the, mon- in, the, in the synagogue, or as atheists. And all of a sudden, they read some passage of the Qur'an, and they get so moved by that, they want to come towards Islam. So what's that? what does that tell us? That this is all in the hands of Allah. The answer is, we don't need to feel shy. We do not need to feel shy. We don't need to feel bad. We don't need to feel guilty about what's in the Quran. The truth is here. The haq is here. If Allah wills it for someone to take it, they will get it. And if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wishes to deprive someone, they'll get deprived. But nothing needs to get changed in the Quran to be able to win over people. Definitely, maybe the way I presented it, you presented it, maybe that needs to be adjusted or changed. That's a different thing. But the main message of the Quran, the thrust of it, is something which anyone who has got uh, anyone who's got a clean heart and who's searching for answers will definitely be able to find his answers in the Quran. So here we go. The first ayat, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, 
Allah Azza wa Jal says, Kaf ha ya ain sad, dhikru rahmati rabbika abdahu zakariya, idhnada rabbahu nidaan khafiya. This is what we call, what you've heard before when I discussed Surah Qaf. We spoke about this as well. This is known as huruf muqatta'at, right? The broken letters. And this is many places in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins um, the, uh, the surah like that. Now, there are certain places where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings in the surah with one letter, and like qaf. And there are other places where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chooses to bring it with two letters. And there are places where three, and there's four, and there's five. So this is an example where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings in five separate letters. Kafha ya'in sad. Now, interesting thing that ulama write, there's so much to be said upon here, but um, we won't get into the you know, details for in this gathering. Uh, however, you already heard this in previous gatherings, and you've read about it previously, that this is a secret that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has kept with him or has shared it with the Prophet alayhi salatu wasalam. The true meaning of it, we were not meant to know. There is speculation, people think and they share. And that is also, if there are people of ilm, that's fine. And this is based on the surat, ayah of the Surah Al-Imran, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَا يَعْلَمُ تَأْوِيلَهُ إِلَّا اللَّهِ That no one knows the interpretation of these ambiguous verses except for Allah. And then Allah says, وَالرَّاسِخُونَ فِي الْعِلْمِ And those who have firm, deep-rooted knowledge, deep-seated knowledge, يَقُولُونَ آمَنَّا بِهِ they say, we believe in all of this. كُلٌّ مِّنْ عِنْدِ رَبِّنَا All of it is from our Lord. Whatever we know, whatever we don't know. Whatever is translation we understand, and that whose translation we don't understand. That which is applicable immediately in my life, and that which is not applicable in my life. كُلٌّ مِّنْ عِنْدِ رَبِّنَا All of it is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What difference does it make? It's from Allah. That's all I'm being asked to do. I'm, asked, I'm, I'm, I'm being asked to believe in it. Even if I don't understand it, does it make a difference? The one I, I, look, you see, this is a really important point what I'm going to say here. We believe not because we understand. We believe not because we understand. If you're on that level of iman, that you believe because you understand, that it's not going to last very long. Because there will be many things that happen in your life that you're not going to understand. You will come across many verses and ayats of the Quran that you're not going to understand. What's going to happen to you then? What's going to happen to me then? We do not believe because we understand. We believe because it's the word of Allah. Similarly, we believe in Rasulullah I think we may have talked about this previously. We believe in the Prophet not because he was extremely intelligent or extremely, uh, you know, uh, 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 extremely knowledgeable of the psychology of people and how to manage people and, and you know, amazing at HR. That's not, he was, but that's not the reason we believe in him. Because if you do that, then that's, that's not Iman. Iman is the fact that you believe in him because he is a Prophet of Allah. That's a key thing. He's a prophet of Allah. And then on top of that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed him with so many other things. So when people start viewing deen from a secular perspective, it becomes really messed up. Oh, I really like about Islam, the aspect of being good to your neighbor, or smiling at your fellow Muslim, or taking care of those who are in need. Okay, why do you like that perspective? Because that's how I am. That's naturally I do these type of things. Well, that's not kind of really good, but what, because what if you say naturally I don't like waking up at 4 o'clock for Fajr? 5 o'clock. Then what's going to happen? So the reason we like, to do, we like to be smile at each other and be good to our neighbors is not because that's what I am like and that's how I am or that's what I feel like doing. Instead, because that's what's beloved to Allah, finished. That's why I do it. Okay? So we have to always watch ourselves how we say and how we speak. If we find ourselves saying things like, this is what naturally I'm interested in these type of things and that's why I do this, 
Well, what are you going to ask yourself? What are you going to do with those things which you're not naturally interested in? Okay, you, you cannot, you, our deen cannot be of this style. Very important, dear listeners, that we back out of this attitude to deen, that this is something that uh, I like, and that's why I want to practice it. Because there will be many, many things that you don't understand, and there are many, many things that you don't like. But yet, if it's what Allah and His Rasul say, we have to follow. So, uh, what, what are the, the, the people of knowledge they say? They say, كُلُّ مِنْ عِنْدِ رَبِّنَا Everything is from Allah, so we're going to believe in it. So now, there is two camps, two different opinions on how to recite these verses which I just shared with you of Surah Al-Imran. One says, وَمَا يَعْلَمُ تَأْوِيلَهُ إِلَّا اللَّهِ No one knows the interpretation of it except for Allah, and you don't stop, you keep on reading. And no one knows the interpretation of these ambiguous verses except for Allah and those who have deep-seated knowledge. So that means people with deep-seated knowledge, deep-rooted knowledge, they also have the understanding of these ambiguous verses. Understand? And so that's based on this reading which I just read in front of you. There are scholars, many years of the past, who gave plausible interpretations of these huruf al-muqatta'at or broken letters. And the other reading is, you stop and you say, no one knows the meanings of this except for Allah. Waqf, you stop. And then now a new sentence starts. And those who have deep knowledge, they say we, we believe in it. Okay, I hope you understand this. So that's why if you read, pick up a book of tafsir and you say, you hear Abdullah ibn Masood or Abdullah ibn Abbas or, or Mujahid or, or, or one of the great scholars and Sahaba or Tabi'in of the past said something about it. It says, wait, how are you saying about that? Because these people understood that their people of deep knowledge will also will be able to know what these verses mean or at least we'll have an idea of what it means so after uh, okay so that's one thing second thing is um, uh, uh, you know we have surah al-baqarah starts off with alif lam mim many right alif lam mim we don't read we don't read this as alam do we alam alim alum we don't we say alif lam mim on the other hand let's go to surah inshirah how do, how does that start after what duha what's the next surah huh Alam Nashrah. Right? We don't see Alif Lam Mim Nashrah. Do we? We don't see Alif Lam Mim Nashrah. We say Alam Nashrah. But when it comes to Surah Al Baqarah, we say Alif Lam Mim. We don't say Alam Tanzirul Kitab. So now, even though they look the same, but they're read completely different. One of them, the words are, are connected, or letters are connected, the other one, it, it isn't. One of them is read as Hamza and Lam, and the other place is actually all broken. So that tells us that. The Quran has not just been passed down through the, just the words have been passed down, but along with that, what has been passed down? The recitation of it, how to actually recite it, has that's where whole the sanad and the ijaza comes from, where you're reading to a teacher who read to a teacher who read to a teacher who wouldn't read it back to Rasulullah who read it back to Jibril who read it who got it from Allah Azza wa Jal. So that that's why the chain in Quran goes back to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Right? That's why it's a big thing when we read Quran that we should try to get uh, ijazah, recite to someone. That should be our goal. That people have to get some type of certification, etc. The goal should be that I should be able to recite the Quran properly to an ustad eventually and be able to get an ijazah that goes back to Rasulullah and goes back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the reason I was mentioning this is that it's not just the words have been passed down from generation to generation, but it is also the method of recitation of how to recite the Qur'an has also been passed down from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala onwards. Then Allah says, rahmati rabbika abdahu This is a reminder of your Lord's mercy. 
upon his servant Zechariah. Okay, this is a reminder of your Lord's mercy upon his servant Zechariah. When he, when he called out to his Lord, when he entreated his Lord in a secret manner, right? in a, secretly he called out to his Lord. And what did he say? He said, Qala, he said, Rabbi, O oh my Lord, inni minni. Indeed, with age, my bones are, have become feeble within me. With age, my bones have become feeble within me. And my head is lit up with gray. My head is lit up with gray hair. Yet never, my Lord, have I ever been unhappy in calling upon you. Or never have I, O oh my Lord, been left out, cheated, rejected in calling out to you. Indeed, I fear for the right guidance of my kinsfolk. I'm afraid of the guidance of my kinfolk to come after me. I'm worried what's going to happen to the people who I'm leaving behind, their deen. And my wife is barren. So, Grant me from your own bounty a successor. Grant, grant me from your own bounty a successor. Yadithuni, who will uh, inherit, who Yadithuni, he will inherit from me, inherit the prophethood, the knowledge. min ali Yaqub, and will inherit from the family of Yaqub. Waja'alhu rabbi radiya, and O oh Allah, make him radiya, yani mardiya, make him. Pleased, in, well pleasing to you. Make him well pleasing to you and to your servants. Meaning, make him beloved to you and to your servants. Allah's response: Ya Zakaria, O Zakaria, Inna nubashiruka. We have given you the glad tidings. Bi gulam of a boy. Ismu Yahya, whose name is Yahya. Lam najallahu min qablu samia. To no one before him had we given such a name. He responded by saying, Oh Allah, how will I have? How will I have? How shall I have a boy? How shall I have a boy? While my wife is barren, and I have reached a state of advanced old age. I have reached a stage of advanced old age. He responded, Allah responded by saying, um, this exactly how it's going to be. Kadalik, just like that. Just like that. That's how it is. I just said it, so it's going to be like that. Qala Rabbuk, your Lord has declared, your Lord has said, Huwa alayya hayyun. This is easy for me. Your Lord has said, it is easy for me. Waqad khalaqtuka min qablu walam taku shay'a. For truly I have created you before. I have created you, O Zakaria, before. Walam taku shay'a, and you were nothing. I created you when you were nothing. Look at where you stand today. He said, O oh my Lord, appoint for me ayah, a sign. He said, Your sign is that 
you shall not be able to speak to people for three nights in a row. Three nights in a row, three straight nights, you will not be able to speak and it will not be because you are sick or suffering an ailment, you simply will not be able to speak. That's a sign of this gift that's going to be coming your way very soon. So Zakaria came forth to his people from the sanctuary alright meaning Allah accepted his dua Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, allowed his, his wife to bear the child and you know months and months went by and the whole tartib went and then Allah jumps to the next stage where he came out of his place of ibadah his, his mihrab his niche where he would sit and worship Allah and he began to address the people meaning he couldn't uh, right? He's, he couldn't speak but فَأَوْحَى إِلَيْهِمْ So then what did he do? He simply made a sign to them. He signed to them. He spoke with sign language because he couldn't use his, his tongue anymore for those three days. He signed to them, he signaled to them, and سَبِّحُوا That exalt Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? Exalt, he commanded them. I want you to say tasbih. Right? Say subhanallah like that. سَبِّحُوا Exalt Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala بُكْرَةً وَعَشِيَّا Morning and evening. And then the, the child was born. His name was Yahya. Now Allah addresses Yahya. He says, Ya Yahya, khudil kitaba biquwa. Oh Yahya, take hold of the heavenly book. Biquwa, with utmost power. I want you to take this book with utmost power. Don't let it go. I'm giving, gifting you uh, a, a heavenly book. Thus we gave him prophetic wisdom as a child. We gave him prophetic wisdom as a child. وَحَنَانًا مِنْ لَدُنَّا And tenderness. Hanan, tenderness. مِنْ لَدُنَّا We made him really soft-hearted. We granted him tenderness from our own providence. وَزَكَاةً And we granted him purity. He was a very pure person and a very soft-spoken person. Okay. وَكَانَ تَقِيَّا And he was very God-fearing. Allah is saying this. Allah is praising him. وَكَانَ تَقِيَّا He was ever God-fearing. What else? وَبَرًّا بِوَالِدَيْهِ He was virtuous towards his parents. He was very kind to Zakariya and his wife, alayhi salam. وَلَمْ يَكُنْ جَبَّارًا And he was neither jabbar, insolent, عَصِيَّة, nor disobedient. He was not insolent, nor was he disobedient. He was not insolent against the people, nor was he disobedient to Allah. وَسَلَامٌ عَلَيْهِ Allah now praise for him and Allah is declaring Allah is declaring this a dua for him and this dua is accepted for him salamun alayhi so may peace be upon him yawma the day he was born the day he was born the day he dies and the day he is raised to life in the hereafter so these are the beautiful 15 verses initial 15 verses of uh, surah Maryam Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he said, ذِكْرُ رَحْمَةِ رَبِّكَ عَبْدَهُ It is as though Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is reminding us that I want you to read and think about Allah's mercy towards His servant Zakariya. Dear brothers, when we read the stories of the prophets, what is the purpose? Why are we going through the tafsir of Maryam? Why are we going through this? It's because there's lessons in every surah. There's lessons in every story. The purpose of these stories is not for us to merely see, oh, that's a nice historical event. That was interesting. Let's move on. 
Instead, the purpose of these stories is, of course, to apply them to our, <clears throat> our life. So here you go. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, I want you to think about how kind and how nice I was to Zakariah and how I enjoyed, how he enjoyed my mercy. Uh, the, the word dhikr, it has many meanings. It's, it's for us to, it's, it's a reminder about something. In this case, that's what we will take it. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to be reminded of the mercy that he showed Zakariah alayhi salatu wasalam. And uh, Rahma itself, they say, تَجَلِّيَاتُ الرَّاحِمْ عَلَى الْمَرْحُومِ بِمَا يُدِيمُ لَهُ صَلَاحَهُ لِمَهْمَتِهِ uh, or لِمُهِمَّتِهِ That it is when, the, what does Rahma mean? It's when the person, with one individual showers upon another individual such blessings which will allow him to be able to achieve his purpose. That's called Rahma, mercy. So whether it's a mercy a human has up against, uh, upon another human, or whether it's a mercy that the Lord of the humans has upon the humans, is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grants you the means to be able to fulfill your purpose. That's mercy. And your purpose is, as a believer, your purpose is what Allah created you for. So if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keeps on giving you not to fulfill your own desires and needs, but gives you what you need to fulfill the purpose He sent us into this world, then you are enjoying Allah's mercy. You understand what I said? If you are able to fulfill the maqsad and the purpose that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent us with in this dunya, then those means that we receive from Allah is called rahmah. So in this story, we're here going to hear, or in this first page, first 15 verses, is the rahmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon Zakariya by which he was able to fulfill his major need, which was to continue the legacy of deen in his family. So we see here, my dear uh, brothers, two very important points that we're going to focus on today in this story. And what is that? That the very the biggest thing that all of us have to worry about is um, leaving behind a legacy. We all have to worry about our future, and uh, it's not sufficient for us to lead a life that ends at the age of sixty, seventy, because this life is way too short. If you say I'm planning to leave for my retirement, that's a very small, petty goal you have for yourself. You cannot plan for retirement. You cannot plan till you, know, you become in your 80s and 90s. That again is not long-term planning. Long-term planning has to be is that what's going to happen when I die? And what am I leaving behind? As someone just read today, it's a beautiful statement that let's not be deceived or be excited about the manner we are going to be uh, you know, given a, a, a goodbye by the world. You know, how many people are going to show up? What, what, how am I going to be? What is the eulogy going to look like, sound like? You know, what, what, are, they, what are people going to be dressed up? That's what people plan, right? People who are terminally ill, famous people, they plan it all out in their will. I want this person to come speak. I want this to that happen. I want this type of, you know, state funeral, fulan, fulan. So, so much planning is done on the departure from the suit to the coffin to all that stuff. Instead of focusing on how the departure is going to be, we need to be focusing on how the arrival is going to be. How will I be received by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? That is why it is mentioned regarding uh, some of the companions that, you know, there was an instance where one sahabi, 
uh, 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 he got killed. And so this story, Nabi Salam said, that this is a very interesting issue we have here. Very interesting story. What is that? The two people have been, two people are involved in a murder. One killed the other. One killed the other. But in this case, the killer, the murderer, and the murdered, both are going to Jannah. Both are forgiven. And what was that? The case was where a disbeliever who had fought relentlessly against the Muslims all his life. And at the end, in one of the battles, in which he had a companion of the Prophet ﷺ pinned against the ground, and he took his sword, and he uh, gave him his final blow. And as he was giving him his final blow, and he was, uh, gave it to him, and he was literally you know, bleeding to death, at that time, this companion of the Prophet ﷺ, with little, whatever little breath he had in him, he exclaimed to the to the strong, you know, to his best ability, he said, "Fustu warabil Kaaba." I swear by the Lord of the Kaaba, I am successful. So he couldn't believe it. As the blood is gushing out of this man, and he, and in the matter of minutes, he lay cold and dead in front of him. But the last thing he said before he is dying is that, "I swear by Allah, by the Lord of the Kaaba, that you even believe the Kaaba." The killer also knew about Kaaba. He said, "I swear in the name of the Lord of the Kaaba, I'm successful." That sent down such a shiver down his spine. He couldn't resist it. He couldn't believe. The rest of the battle, he was dazed. Kept on thinking about what he just heard. Eventually, that forced him to go to Medina and to go see Rasulullah And it was just a matter of a few minutes and a little bit of time that he took the shahada and accepted Islam. So Nabi said about him, that here you go, the one you killed in the battle, of course he was shaheed, he's a martyr, he's gone to Allah in paradise. And the one who killed him also, now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guided him. So now what happens is, if you look at the way he died, in all these people who die in these type of cases, very sad death, very difficult death, away from family, away from kids, away from everything, in the middle of Allahu Alam where, don't even know if a proper funeral is going to be given to such shuhada, right? In the past and even now. So if you judge it based on the external aspect of it, it looks not nice. But just imagine the type of reception and istiqbal they're receiving. That before the blood touches the ground, already the soul has arrived in Jannah. Allahu Akbar. Right? What type of amazing uh, uh, you know, reception Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prepared for such people. So we ha- cannot be thinking simply about uh, college or till I get married, till I have my first child, or till I have all the children, or till my first child gets married, or, or till I get retirement age, etc. These things are very short-sighted thinking. The far-sighted thinking that is the Muslim should always do is to think about, of course this is going to wrap up. What's going to happen afterwards? You know what I mean? This is going to wrap up. What's going to happen afterwards? This is the key thing. When you, go to, when you go to grocery shopping, you don't think, okay, just right now we have meal and lunchtime is one hour. What am I going to eat? You're shopping for the whole week. Even just simple thing, example, I'm like this. No one just say, okay, what am I going to eat now? You can grab anything, you can eat leftovers, you can make a quick sandwich. You want to be able to get your groceries for the whole week. Simple everyday life, we do not think in the moment, we think about future. So for a Muslim, for a believer, his goal is that, the real life is going to be the life of the hereafter. I want to make sure that I don't just cash out quickly today. None of you, none of us here would be saying, uh, that let me be able to make a, you know a hundred thousand dollars cash someone gives it to me and and then that's it my job is closed for good no one even a million you'd say no I want to make sure I have some monthly something coming in 
What am I going to do with immense amounts of money right now if I cannot reinvest that? If I cannot have something available for me on a monthly basis? So this, the, the, what, why, where am I going with this? The aspect of the fact that the most important aspect for all of us is what type of legacy we're leaving. And that legacy, number one, is in the form of the children that we leave behind. That's it. The most important legacy is the children that we leave behind. What are they going to do after we're gone? Dear brothers and dear sisters, that if we leave behind children who are obedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and who fulfill the rights of fellow human beings, then although we are dead and gone and finished, what's going to happen? This, the revenue will continue to come. It's like you've retired, but you've got uh, you know, all sorts of royalties coming in from a bunch of stores. Think about that. You're not working, but you got the royalties coming in. And if someone who does not have a pension plan, who does not have a retirement plan, who has no such uh, you know, arrangements, he cannot retire. You see that in the dunya. They work until they die. Because he's working $8 an hour, and he has absolutely no savings, he cannot afford to retire. So for the akhirah, what are we going to do? We don't know if we're going to live till 60, 70, 80. We're going to all have to go about it. Might even die much earlier than that. But what's our retirement plan for the akhirah? Is our children. Nabi said, When the son of Adam dies, his book of deeds comes to an end. He can't do anything. Except for three things. Right? What's the first one? Sadaqatun jariyah. Some type of charity that runs on a continuous basis. It's general. Number two, uh, a righteous child that prays for him. And number three, knowledge that people are gaining the benefit from after he's gone. Three things have been mentioned in this very famous hadith, the gist of which I shared in front of you. That you want to make sure that when you and I go into the grave and when we cannot even say, Subhanallah, say it all of you. Subhanallah, we said that. Now once a person, his, his soul comes out, he can't say that. What you just said, subhanallah, Allah gave you a tree in Jannah. Right now. A tree. Right? And that tree is not just your tree that you have to worry about cleaning up, cracking up the leaves in the winter or in the fall. This is the tree of Jannah. Whose, whose beauty is expansiveness, we have no idea. Hundreds of years, an Arabian horse may run, will not be able to cross through the shade of this tree. So in order to have such a large tree, imagine how large real estate you have to have. Subhanallah. Right? There you go. So this is something we can say. We can say subhanallah on the way back home. You could probably say it a hundred times easily. But when a person passes away, he cannot say that. But he wants to. But he can't. Think about that. I want you to think for a moment. You and I are in the grave. And we're wishing, wishing. Our soul is there. That I just wish I could pray two rakah. Nope. I wish I could fast. It's a Monday. Nope. I wish I could give sadaqah. I wish I could put my hand on the head of an orphan. I wish I could donate to an orphanage. A, a dig a well. I wish I could donate towards a masjid. I wish I could you know, help my neighbor, old neighbor. I wish I could do something. I wish I could just say alhamdulillah. I wish I could say astaghfirullah. I wish I could send salutation to the Prophet ﷺ. No, my friends. Our tongue will not move. We cannot do anything once we're gone. The door is completely, completely, completely closed. Now you're sitting there and wondering, what, what can I do? I wish I could get an upgrade in Jannah. But upgrade is not going to come. Your actions have stopped. You don't have any more money. You already got what you could get with this. But you're looking at so much more. You wish you had more. Oh, subhanAllah. Now you see, as you're sitting there, big package gifts are coming in. A packet comes in of a thousand salawat. 
Then after a week later, a, a package, a huge package comes of one khatm al-Qur'an. Then a month later, you get a huge package of an entire umrah. Two years later, you get a huge package of a hajj. A year later, you get a package of two wells. A year later, you get a package of a full scholar, alim, alima, serving the... What's happening? Because your children or your money continue to work after you're gone. And your children, and primarily we're going to start with, that's what we're speaking about here, are doing the work of deen. And they're teaching people, guiding people, being kind to people, fulfilling the rights of others, getting the du'as of everyone, and all of that because of your good tarbiyah, you gave them, you're getting full, full payment of it, royalties of it in the grave. And if you didn't have that set up, right now, right? And now you're in the grave, it's too late. While other, the guy next to you is receiving gifts every single day. But this individual, subhanAllah, Allah forbid, if he did not prepare his children properly, whether it's his physical children, his blood children, or his spiritual children, one of the two, if he didn't do that, then he's not going to receive any gifts. Now this bayan is very depressing for someone who's already dead. Don't you think so? If he didn't have any good kids, he's going to say, oh my God, I wish I heard this before. The one who's dead and whose kids right now are just enjoying his money or her money and are neglecting prayer, are, are involved in major sins. Miskin, bichara, what is he going to be getting in his grave? Maybe even tons of sin. One time, one person, he had a liquor shop, went to go see him. Subhanallah, in Jawla. And then after that, his father died. So we went to go do aza, ta'ziyah of him. So he's, we told him, bye, you know, what are you doing? So he, look at this guy, he's cursing his dad. He said, oh my God, he left this, he left this liquor store. Well, I can't come to the salah, I'm, I'm sin. I can't even donate. My whole money is all haram. I'm top to bottom all haram. My kids eat haram, this is what we do. So give it up. And he says, no, I can't give it up too. I'm addicted to it. I'm making $70,000 a month. It's too much money. I can't close this shop either. And then what does he do? He just curses his dad. Allahu Akbar, la ilaha illallah. He's enjoying the money also. What the adab in akhirah is different. Look at in the dunya what he's doing. He's already cursing his dad. How many times we've seen that people who leave behind disobedient children, they actually seriously, with their, word, their tongue they curse their dads and their moms, and they're, of course with their actions they curse their moms and dads. And what type of punishment they'll bring upon their parents in the akhirah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows. So now if, a, of course, this does not apply to the, the, those who tried, like Nabi Nuh who tried, right? That's not, what are you going to do? There's an example in the Quran, Nabi Nuh, Nuh, you think he didn't try to make, give tarbiyah to his kids? What are you going to do? And do you think Nabi Lut did not try to give tarbiyah to his wife? So that's, that's obviously excluded from that. We're speaking about people who just simply did not care about this. It was never crossed their mind. And which is vast majority of people. Vast majority of people, I'm, if I hope I'm not exaggerating, in my experience, is they really don't care about these things. As long as the grades are good, as long as the scholarships add up, as long as good colleges are, you know, are, are, are what you call in our admission process, alhamdulillah, you know, and the skin color of the spouse is good, you know, then that's about it. That's all they care. Besides that, whether who prayed salah, who didn't pray salah, how much Quran is being read, who's been giving sadaqah, absolutely not a problem. Whatever you do, that's, that's between you and whatever. You know? This is the experience I've had with most people. And most people, just, they really, this is not on the radar. And they don't understand. They just don't get it. That once they go into the grave, they'll realize, okay, you know, we've destroyed our own akhirah, and we've also destroyed for generations. Because now that child that was fed wrong, taught wrong, what is he going to do? You think all of a sudden he's going to go change his life and marry someone else on the right path? It could happen, but the, the trajectory is not good. So the most important effort that all of us have to be doing is on our kids. 
Then making sure that our children continue the legacy of deen. Now that means you have to have something else yourself. You have to have something. Like they say, shayla if, you have, if you don't have something, you can't give it to someone else. You cannot give water if you don't have water yourself. So ruhaniyat and spirituality has to come into myself. Then I can give it to my children. But if I don't have that in myself, what am I going to give? So dear brothers, dear sisters, dear listeners, wherever we are, with the fact that you're listening to me, that means you and I are alive. Alhamdulillah. So no matter what type of life of ghafla and neglect we may have led till today, till this second, at least now, let us realize that our focal point in the remaining years of our life needs to be the tarbiyah of our children. And the tarbiyah has to be done in obviously in a very nice manner. It's not that 60 years we didn't say anything. Now all of a sudden we say, if you don't wake up for Fajr, I'm going to beat you up. How's that going to work? Right? And Mufti Sa'id Palampuri, rahimahumullah, rahmatun wasi'ah, if someone asked him when he came to Chicago many years ago, said if, if uh, one of the sister heard his bayan, one mother, and she said after hearing this bayan, I feel very bad, my children, are, I haven't worked on them, now what am I supposed to do? Do I get the sin for this? He said if you, something, I'm paraphrasing what he said, he said that if you, if you, if you uh, the gardener or uh, the person who is running a garden, if you planted some vegetables or some trees uh, you know, in the backyard, and he did, uh, while they were growing, and they started growing, in, in a wayward fashion and they will start leaning to one side or the other if this individual what do we usually do we usually put a stick or something like that to keep it straight like the vines right but if you didn't do that and if the if the entire tree started uh, you know growing in a crooked manner uh, what are you going to do about that where did where does the where does the fault lie the fault lies upon the gardener or the one who installed the tree that he was supposed to not just throw the seed and walk away. He was supposed to or she was supposed to make an effort to ensure that the tree grows straight up and not be tilted to the left or to the right. Now that you have done it and it's, it's now a 20 year old tree and it's all bent. Besides cutting it, there's no other solution. How are you going to fix it now? Right? From a tree perspective. So from a human perspective as well, a person is liable for this tarbiyah of children. However, however, the doors of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the mercy are always open. As soon as a person realizes that he didn't or she didn't make the effort that they were supposed to when the kids were young, what is the, what is the path of recourse now? You're going to say, what's the path of recourse now? Sin has happened. Let's not, let's not beat around the bush. As moms and dads, we are responsible. So if our children are not praying now, because we didn't tell them to, if our children are, are not leading Islam, uh, uh, you know, proper Islamic lives, or, you know, this is the, 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 the saddest part I'm telling you, that the most educated of our community, the most educated, the guy, you know, in all our professional schools, you grab them from, go to university, pull them out of class, and, to, and ask them, you know, recite to me two du'as of Rasulullah Recite to me two surahs with proper tajweed. Right? Recite, share with me some of the fundamental uh, you know, laws of Islam. Give me some of the rights of the husband or the wife. No one knows a clue. They don't know a clue. They don't know a clue. Seriously. When, in, in the process, when, when we perform marriages many times, in the past so many years that we've been doing it, and extremely educated individuals I'm performing the marriages of. Extremely wealthy, and extremely educated. But you know, it's just like, it becomes so apparent within that one minute that this man knows, like literally, I kid you not, a third grader in Sunday school would know more than these, these extremely well-educated professionals. In the 30s, doing a, throwing a huge wedding, but they know nothing of the deen. The way they say, the way you share your Islamic greetings, the way you say salam, you can figure out how much you know. Think about that. Just the way you say salam, the pronunciation, and the words that you use to say salam, it, make, it makes it very apparent what background we have. 
So what's going to happen? When I perform such marriages, my, my thought goes on, what's going to happen to the kids that are going to be born in this marriage here? Because these guys' parents, they were born and raised in overseas countries. They came with Islamic uh, ideas and you know, whatnot. They got you know, washed away here. And now you got a product of that here. Now this product over here, what's going to happen when these people have kids? How far away from the deen they're going to be? So this is the reality outside, dear listeners. You, if you're listening on a Tuesday night to my dars, inshallah, this doesn't apply to you. But let's, I'm not talking about you and I. We got to look out for the whole ummah right now. What about our cousins? What about our relatives? What about our family friends? What about our classmates in school? To what degree of the deen do they have? It's not on the radar. This winter intensive that just went by, the tafim program that's coming on this weekend. Why do parents not say, son, you know what? You expect me to pay $40,000 a year in your college tuition? Part of that, the least I can expect is you learn, you take these classes. Why not? But no one cares about it. That's just not part of it. <laughs> right? They'd rather use, they say, okay, you take out the garbage, to, you know, to the, or, or do something else. But this is just, just putting this condition that I want you and I will also join with you and attend the class on Saturday morning and Sunday morning. Let's learn together. Is not part there. My dear friends, when the ilm is not there, then you really don't even need Iblis to show up to ruin, the, ruin it all. You know, people will become shaitan themselves without knowledge. So we have to, if we're listening to this, make this commitment right now, that the remainder of our life, we are going to inshallah, acknowledge if the mistakes we have made, and I have made in raising our children. And then now try to make up for it. Try to make up for it somehow or another with nice words, with kind words, with wisdom, and lots and lots and lots of dua. Never underestimate the power of the parents' dua. When the parent sits there and makes dua for the guidance of their children, inshallah tabarak wa ta'ala, that dua is not gonna go to waste. We have to have, we have to have firm faith. Residency mil jai, medical school mil jai. That's all the dua. How many people come begging to me? Some dua, something. What is it? Let my son needs to get into medical school. My wife needs to get into medical school. My daughter needs to get into residency. That's all. By now, if you ask Jannatul for those who have gotten it, my friend, how much? That's all is on our minds. All is on our minds. The dunya, 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 dunya. There's nothing wrong with, with, with any of these things. But you cannot put it at the forefront of your life at the cost of him not knowing anything about Islam. And her not knowing about anything about the deen. You're not worried about the wife not wearing hijab, not worried about the wife not knowing anything about Islam. All we're worried is about she needs to get into a school. She needs to get into a professional school. She needs to get this and that. So who's gonna pay the price for that? Obviously the kids will pay. And they will pay. Eventually when we're gone into the grave, we'll realize these were foolish du'as we made while neglecting the most important things. Dear friends, every single decision we make is going to have the effect for not days or centuries. For I'm talking about nine millennium. I'm talking about for eternity. Eternity. Because when we go into the grave, all of this is either going to come to bite us or inshallah will come to us as gifts. Nabi said, No father has ever gifted his son a better gift than good etiquette. No father has ever gifted a son a gift better than, you know, good, good etiquette. So when we see uh, the son or the daughter acting up, she's 18, she's 19, she's 20, doesn't know how to sit in front of guests, doesn't know how to sit in front of non-mahram people, doesn't know how to speak to uncles and aunts, where does you, where, you mean, who cares if they got a perfect MCAT score? Who cares? If their akhlaq are worse than that of animals, if their character is worse than that, the non-Muslims, what are you gonna do with this man? What are you gonna do with these scores? Seriously. And guess who's going to pay the biggest price? The parents. This will become Frankenstein. Like the scientist 
So, you know, the story goes, built this monster, and the monster came to attack the scientist himself. Well, that's exactly what happens. When the tarbiyah is not given to children, and they're not corrected at a very young age, and they're not told that, ha, huh, you can't speak to your dad like that. You cannot speak to your mom. Nain chalta, it's okay. No, it doesn't work like that. There has to be very clear-cut lines. This is your ustad. This is your teacher. This is your, uh, your parent. This is your, your grandparent. This is your uncle and aunt. You cannot, cannot stay under this roof while speaking in such a manner or disrespecting so-and-so guest in this manner. Absolutely not. Adab has to be there. Adab has to be there. And how we treat with one another, how to act with one another. Akhlaq has to be something that we got to be focused on. This whole aspect of, you know, everyone is praises their kids now, right? Everyone. All we do is just boast. My kid is like this, my kid is like that. Non-stop. He's an honor roll in this and he's an honor roll in that. And look, we have to put stickers on for it. And This was not how it was before. So now they just become, ego has become so high, and he becomes untouchable. All we're focused, really all we're focused, I'm repeating the same thing again and again, our community is messed up because all we focus is on grades and numbers. That's all we care about. We don't look at a holistic person. How many marriages, my dear friends, who are listening here, are of, of marriages within this past year have lasted three days? Some of them two weeks, some of them three weeks, some of them less. Huge weddings. Huge weddings. Because you, didn't, you made them into a doctor, you made them into an engineer, you made them into a successful businessman. But you need to make them first into a human being. There's a famous story I'm going to share with you. Uh, my ustad, who I studied Arabic with in Pakistan, Sheikh Ramzi Al-Habib, who is the senior, one of the senior teachers in Mawlana Tariq Milsa's Madrasa where I studied for a year. And I was very, very close to him when I studied there. So I remember he told me this story. He said when he finished his alim course, you know, his amazing story, he, was spent, he left at the age of 16 from Tunisia. And he went back after 16 years. He went back when he was about 32. When he went... Never, he didn't go home for 16 years straight. And when he went back home, he told me his mom fell, fell down unconscious in the airport when she saw him. Couldn't believe him. You know? He went, he went, he went in Jamaat just for four months. After that, he extended. He said, I want to go do Hivs. He finished his Hivs. Then after that, he said, I want to do Alam course. He started his Alam course. Then he took some time off. He went and did Qiraat Sab'ah. Qiraat Ashra. He did Qiraat. Then he came back and finished his Alam course. And then after that, uh, he was actually Mufti Zainul Abidin, those of you who know him from Faisalabad, Rahimahumullah Rahmatan Wasiya, one of the great, great ulama of this past century. He pretty much adopted him, adopted this Arab kid that was studying in his madrasa. So he was super duper close to Mufti Zainul Abidin. So now when he finished his alam course, and now he's like, you know, he was, came at 16, he was probably at this age, like in 27, never going home yet. He, was, he, went, to, uh, he went to Darlulub Karachi. And in Darlulub Karachi, there was like the 50 year anniversary of the madrasa, like you know, 50 year, what do you call that? Um, uh, the, the celebration, right? 50 year celebration. So, so, so uh, he had done Dora Hadith there. He had done Dora Hadith. Sheikh Ramzi did the last final year in, in uh, Karachi, or the last couple of years in Darlum Karachi. Mawlana Subhan Mahmood, Rahmatullah Ali, all these ulama were, you know, his teachers were alive at that time. So it was, it was, it was a, Huge celebration. You guys know Darlum Karachi. If not, go check it up online. Read about it, right? I mean, one of the most amazing universities that we can all be so proud of. The place where Mufti Taqi, uh, uh, may Allah grant him long life and health, is and with his brother Mufti Rafi, his elder brother. So, uh, it's a guest from across the globe. Mufti Rafi, Mufti Taqi is uh, top, you know, from the number one, number two, or number three within the top five most influential Muslims in the entire world. Year after year, year after year, he's nominated. 
to be like the top five amongst the 500 notable Muslims in the world. So when he had this celebration, he had guests from across the globe, across the globe, leading ulama from Egypt, leading ulama from the Khalij, leading ulama from the rest of the world there. And if I'm not mistaken, Mawlana Subhan, one of the elder, elder teachers of Dor Hadith, recommended Muftaqi Taqi. You know this Ramzi here is a really good, good student. I want you to give him a, you know, give him a slot to speak. <laughs> Just like that. So he, he, he gave him five minutes or whatever. He said, okay, fine, speak. So in that graduation, he spoke such a powerful, powerful delivery that you know, everyone just got shook up like, oh my God, who is this young man? He had a small beard, you know, just where he's from, northern Africa. At that age, his beard hadn't come out very much. So he was impressed by his Arabic. And uh, anyway, so after the graduation was over, Mufti Taqi immediately called him and said, I want you to become a mudarris. I want you to become a teacher immediately here in Darlum Karachi. He just graduated. He said, I want you to become a teacher here. Again, this is the Harvard of Harvards for the Muslim, uh, for, the, for the Islamic universities. So uh, subhanAllah, he said, I got to make mashwara with my, you know, uh, my murabbi, my mentor, uh, Mufti Zain al-Abideen. He's, he's raised me pretty much for the past 15 years. So he called Mufti Zain al-Abideen, he asked him, and so this is, this is what I was told when I was there, he said, he said, Mufti Zain al-Abideen said, you can do whatever you want, but he first has to go in jamaat, one year. As ulama are supposed to, when they finish the alim course, they have to go one year jamaat. They're supposed to go, I mean, that's one of the suggested curriculums. So Mufti Taqi apparently told Mufti Zalamuddin, Hazrat, I want to make him a mudarris, a teacher of Darlum Karachi. So Mufti Zalamuddin Sab's response was, He said, I want to first make him into a human being. You're talking about teacher? That comes later on. What is my purpose? I understand teaching is a big thing, but let him first learn practically by working with the people to become something. He's got a lot of knowledge now, but now you have to work with the people and make sabr with the difficulties of the people and go through sacrifice upon sacrifice. Then the knowledge from the brain comes into the heart and from the heart to the rest of your body. So you have to become something. Then you can go make him a teacher wherever you want. SubhanAllah. So he spent about a year and a half and um, it was just so interesting. I'm going to share this story too with you that he was in Faisalabad in his jamaat, tashkil. And... Uh, uh, and uh, and uh, in his, he ended up coming to our madrasa where I was studying in Hassanain. And he came there in Jamaat. <laughs> but his, he was just a naturally an amazing teacher. So while he was sitting there in Jamaat, in the madrasa, he told us kids of the madrasa, all right, you know what? Once I finish up ta'aleem and we finished up with all the stuff, I want you all to come to me while sleeping time. I want you all to come sit around me. So we came and he said, okay, I want you guys to write a page in Arabic tomorrow. And I'm going to, I'm going to uh, correct it for you. <laughs> like, okay, he's, he's just a random, you know, Molana in the Jamaat. So we went back and we started writing. We came back the next day. And between, you know, his, his responsibilities in the Jamaat, he started giving us time and making corrections. And subhanAllah, he just went all out. And then he saw that we were, not, we were also very interested. So we kept on going to him and we started doing a lot of khidma also, you know, mashallah, whatever, buy this, that, whatever you can do. And pretty much won his heart, like completely. He goes back to the markaz and he says, you know what, can you send me back another 10 days over here? And then subhanAllah, he was actually on his way to Darlum Karachi to become a teacher. And walillahi alhamd, during those 10 days, we, we made such an effort, he made an effort on us and we made an effort on him, that we won his heart and he said khalas. He called up over there to Mufti Taqi and he said, you know what, I'm gonna stay here. I'm gonna actually join Mawlana Tarjimil Sab's madrasa. It was a new, teeny tiny, newest madrasa. There was only like 50 people. All right, that's it. 
50, 50 students. And it was a new, new style, new style of teaching. It's like the new Montessori style that shows up. You're like, is this going to work? Is that going to work? How is it going to be, you know? So Malataj Musa's madrasa was very different in 2001 when he started it. So he, he decided to give up Darum Karachi to stay here. SubhanAllah. But it, that bet worked out really well, right? And he's now, what, eight, 20 years now? He's, you know, he's one of the lead teachers there. He's teaching Bukhari. MashaAllah. So um, anyway, the reason why I went into this whole beautiful story is the fact that while degrees is not important, as much as becoming a human being. That's what I was getting at. You have to become something. Sheikh Ramzi himself used to tell me that when he was studying in madrasa, he was so poor, he was so poor, he had nothing, that on Fridays, which is the day of chutti, the day off, we had to go do our laundry. We do our laundry, Friday is the day off. So we take our clothes to the wudu area, we take our clothes, we take surf, they call it surf, you know, tide, stuff like that, in a small packet, two rupee packet. You take it, you put it in a bucket, and you wash, wash your clothes by hand. You take a scrubber and you scrub it, and you sit on, you know, sit on the floor and, and scrub your clothes. So he, and we used to do the same thing too. So he, when he would see us, he would tell us that when I was studying, I did not have two rupees to buy soap. So I would go on Friday with my dirty clothes, and I would wait. As the students would be washing, I would try to take the foam from the other clothes that were left on the floor and put on my clothes to be able to wash it. Subhanallah. Absolute, you know, poverty without having any means he studied. With food, without food, with clothes, without clothes, you know, with soap, without soap. But then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him such honor that mashallah wa ta'ala, you know, at such a, you know, such a young age, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed him. With, with, with such fame that when we were, I'm talking about 2001, I'm talking about now, I'm talking about that time, when he would be teaching in class, we would have delegations of ulama coming from two and a half hours by flight from Karachi and other places, simply to come watch how does this 28 year old teach. He was just such an amazing teacher, man. He would stand there and mesmerize the class. There was 10, 12 of us, we routinely had ulama, groups of ulama coming looking at us, like watching, okay, how does he teach, how do these students interact? SubhanAllah. So it was one of my most formative years of my life, spending time with him. Uh, but that, that came in through sacrifice and tarbiyah. And his mom, he told me some stories, I'm not going to even share them over here. Boy, she was one strict mom. SubhanAllah. You know, tough love. Real tough love. Imagine which mother can just say, okay. he, said he, called, he said he called home after, I don't know, he called home after many, 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 many months. And after about four years, he said, Mama, can I come home? She responds back, I didn't know I sent a girl to Pakistan. He said, what are you talking about? Come back home. Do your work. Finish up. Don't even ask about coming back. He said, that's my mom. He comes home after 18 years, 16 years. And she's like, I want you to work, do the work of deen. Tunisia didn't have a system for him to do work. You know, a lot of crazy political situation there. Spent two months at home after 18 years and said, Yalla, go back. He went back. He took permission, went back. He didn't say you have to stay here. This type of women create these type of people. That's the reality. These type of women create these type of people. And these type of people create hundreds of people. And it goes back to the role of the mother. You can't just care about yourself. I remember one, one student, uh, he was supposed to join our, our program over here. Right before the, the program started, he emailed saying he cannot join. I said, why you can't join? He said, my mom and dad are saying no, I can, they don't want me to leave town. Although, that student 
for all his, let's listen to the story, all his high school years, all his high school years, he studied at the other, under, other, other end of the country to attend a very good high school, away from mom and dad. Now our high school is finished. Now the time is for the one-year program or summer intensive comes. And now the mom says, again, you're going to go out for college all your life. At least I want you to stay here. So I told him, give me, give me your mom and dad's number. I called him up and I, I spoke to them. I said, listen, I, I care about you more than anything else. We don't, we, one student less in the class, Allah will send another five. It's okay. Life will carry on over here. Really, you know, your son is here, not here, doesn't make a difference. But I'm speaking for yourself. You made so much sacrifice just for the dunya of your son. Four years notwithstanding you know, him being away. And then you're already saying for college is going to go away. But subhanAllah, for the deen, why don't you think about this? You can't give up two months of him staying with you. Why are you being selfish here? Really, your son is ready to go. But now you're making him lose on his deen for your selfish needs. Because you want to have your son next to you. You're cheating him from being able to learn the deen. When you know you cannot provide that type of education at your own home, in your own state. Think about how harmful this is. That same fikr that you have for his dunya, why don't you have the same fikr for his deen? And then when he comes on righteous track, guess what? You will benefit yourself. Subhanallah, alhamdulillah, the mother and father listened. They sent this kid over here. He came out as a valid Victorian first in his summer class. And then he said a beautiful you know, message to me. He said, I thank Dar Salaam and the summer program for literally saving my deen because he was just an extremely intelligent kid who was always thinking, thinking, thinking. And if you don't have that type of mindset uh, spiritually connected, it could cause major problems. So he told me to sitting in the back of the masjid there, he said, if it wasn't for the summer intensive, I don't know if I would even survive as a Muslim in college, if I would even remain a Muslim. These literally three weeks, he said, Alhamdulillah, and I, I'm still connected with him, mashallah, mashallah. I'm so proud of him. Literally, he's changed his entire life. Now he's doing full uh, you know, professional school, and along with that, he's doing part-time alim course with it. Subhanallah. And if you look at him, he has a beard literally longer than mine. Right? And he would take the train, train all the way from downtown to be able to come and study here on the weekend. MashaAllah. So you have examples of people who make sacrifices, moms and dads who make sacrifice for the deen. And who's gonna benefit? Forget Darul Salaam, forget me. You will benefit. So next time shaitan comes and tells you, oh, it's too far for me to let him go. It's too far, it's too long for him to let it go. Then my dear brothers, remember sacrifice is necessary. I have to thank immensely my mom and dad, my parents. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless them and reward them immensely for the sacrifices they made. And it's hard. As little kids, we wouldn't even turn back, right? We're walking, hey, we're jumping on a plane on a 747 to Africa. We're excited about that. Are we going to be greeted by lions at the, <laughs> at the tarmac or what? That's, I mean, I was 13 when I left. I had no idea what I was getting into. But now being a father, you realize the sacrifice that our parents did of being able to send all four children you know, to different continents away from home for not one year or two years, but for eight years. This is a sacrifice that actually pays off later on. So people have to be making sacrifices, my friends. We need people to make sacrifice. And you make sacrifice, and who is the first beneficiary? Yourself. So this is the story of Zakaria What is he saying? He's saying, Ya Allah, He's begging Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Ya Allah, I want you to give me a child or an heir or someone to look after the deen I'm leaving behind. I'm worried. He's a Nabi of Allah. He's a Nabi of Allah. But he's worried about the deen of his children. Okay? Who's a Nabi sitting here? No one. Alright? No one. He's a Nabi of Allah. And may I add the story of Yaqub alayhi salam. Same thing. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Were all of you present when Yaqub died? When Yaqub was passing away? 
Allah is asking. Obviously the answer is, of course not. So he said, of course not, then listen. If you're not there, then listen. Because I want you to listen to this story. Who's saying this? Allah is saying this. Were you all present when death came knocking on the door of Yaqub? And when we all know we're not there, that means you need to listen. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Yaqub looked at his kids and he said, Ma ta'buduna min ba'di. Oh, when I die, who are you going to continue to worship? Who are you going to worship? That's what his fikr is at the deathbed. They responded by saying, oh, oh, oh dear father, of course we will worship your, fa- your God, and the God of your forefathers, Ibrahim, Ismail, Ishaq, the one God, and we will submit ourselves to his will. Do that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mawlana Abul Hassan Ali al-Nadwi rahmatullahi writes about this, that this is the fikr of a Nabi. On his last moments on his deathbed, he is worried about what, is his, what are his children going to do in the deen. Let's ask all of us fathers and mothers listening to me right now. Is that your number one biggest concern? Even though we're not even a trillionth of a Nabi. We're not a trillionth and a billionth of a Sahabi. We're not even close to being a Wali. We've, we've got so many problems with our deen. What makes us feel so content that everything is set in our life? And that our kids are going to be definitely on the straight path. When we, with our own very eyes today, are witnessing hundreds of kids leaving the fall of Islam while their parents are still around. What makes us fall into this foolish deception that everything's going to be fine when we die? My dear friends, it requires serious paranoia, fikr, worry, overwhelming fikr and concern that I need to be working towards the tarbiyah of my children. And the children do not live in a vacuum. They live like all of us amongst society. So in, in, to ensure our children remain on the firm deen, we have to ensure that their circle of friends and the society that they, as they say in Desi land, society, right? The, 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 their group of friends are good. And that the environment that they are connected with is good, is conducive to Islam. So the place where you choose to build your home, the place where you choose to live, the neighborhood you choose has to reflect your ideals. You cannot just look at the best zip code in the very best gated community without having any practicing Muslims in your area. Absolutely not. That's a very foolish move to make. There's no problem in living in a nice home. But make sure you choose your neighborhood. Because that's why there's a saying in Arabic, What an amazing saying. Search and seek out the neighbor before you seek out the house. Allahu Akbar. Look for the neighbors before you choose the house. If you have righteous, pious neighbors, then you can build a house, break the house, build another one, or do whatever you want. But make sure you find the right neighborhood. And make sure you choose the right companion of your journey before you get onto the journey. It's not important whether you take a flight or a train. What's important is the one sitting next to you should not be crazy. Right? So that's what marriage is. Marriage is a journey. You don't just say, Chalo bhai, shadi karna, aang band karo, pakarlo. Close your eyes and get married. No, marriage is a journey. Make sure you do all the research that you find the right spouse before you just jump on to the journey of marriage. So this is what we learn from Zakaria story here of trying to uh, ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which a dua, of course, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did accept uh, and uh, that granted, granting, him, granting him Yahya. So we're not prophets. We are much less than that. We are in America in 2021. We have a lot to be worried about. On top of that, we're in a lockdown, we're in COVID era, which I think tops everything. So the fitnas now, are seriously, are a hundred times worse than they were last year. The fact that no one comes to the masjid and no one cares about it. 
the fact that majority, you know, you know I, I mean, I, I, every time I, t- I complain to people, it's like, no, mashallah, you got three Jumas at Dar Brother, what part of this you don't understand? The three Jumas is not even equivalent to our one Jumma. Okay? Three Jumas is not even equivalent to pre COVID one Jumma. Where is the Ummah of the first Jumma? Then we got to bring the worry about the Ummah of the second Jumma. Then we got to worry about the Ummah of the third Jumma. And that's when other masjids have such. Uh, strict guidelines of only allowing 50 people. So where's the 1,500 from east side? Where's another 3,000 from west side? Where's the 2,000 from you know, north side? All I'm talking about in suburbs. I'm not even talking about Chicago here. Within our own 10, 15 mile radius, how many hundreds of thousands of Muslims that used to come for Jummah are no longer coming for Jummah? You can leave all the aspects of you know, someone's immune system is compromised. We're not talking about all those people. We're talking about healthy Jawan Log who are finding time to go on vacations across the globe. Catching you know deals on you know Caribbean islands and whatever the case may be, and all everywhere else going you business as usual, but Juma is just not a problem. They don't attend. How many how many Jumas? I just you know a person I say I attend once in once in one month. What 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 is this? What are you talking about? What are you talking about once in what? And, and he's not even saying if whenever there's space in the masjid. I told him by Darussalam's open, there's space. The whole banquet hall is empty, the whole gym is empty, the new women's prayer hall is empty, all the 22 classrooms are empty. You can pray wherever you want. But why are people not coming? So you, if, you don't, if you think this is not an issue, then I don't know what's wrong. We are in, living in a very, very, very tough time right now. The fitna right now is, is seriously, is hundreds of times increased from this past year. Because... Without masjid, without jama'ah, without jama'ah, there's no deen. We're gone, we're lost. And then secondly, secondarily, no one cares about it. It doesn't mean, it doesn't, we don't even blink an eye. Instead we say, oh, mashallah, there's three jama'ahs. Or people are going, what is that supposed to mean? Do you understand, my friends, that group, that if doesn't come to the masjid for a year, you can almost write them off. Unless Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does a miracle, the chance of them coming back is very unlikely. You don't use a muscle, you lose it. If you, don't, if, you don't, if you don't use a muscle of coming to the masjid for a year, how do you expect all of a sudden one day you start coming to salah again? And when that is, if it's one or two people, leave it. When that's the masses, when that's the majority are not praying Jummah. Across the country, I called another alim today from another state. He told me all his masjids in that area are closed. That's the reality, across. So if we cannot pray in the masjid, those of you who are listening from maybe different states, pray in the parking lot. Your masjid is closed, go pray in the parking lot. If it's cold, sit in the car, listen to the khutbah over Bluetooth, over conference call. Our deen is easy. You can bring 10, 20, 200 cars in a big parking lot. Imam can park in the front. He can do a conference call khutbah. You don't even have to have any technology for this. Conference call number, give it over the, over the phone. You give the, uh, the bayan. And then, uh, what you call khutbah, you're supposed to stand? Yes, you're supposed to. But it's sunnah. Is it fard? Does your, is your khutbah invalid if you don't stand? No, it's not. It's valid still. You can still give the khutbah. And then you stand out, put your musalla on the floor, and read falak in your, in your two rakats, if you're Jummah. You'll be done in three minutes outside. Then you sit in your car and go home and pray your sunnah. Why can't we do that? Who, which community can't do that? But we're not even thinking along those lines. That's what scares me. That's what really, really, really worries me. That why people are not even thinking. Thinking and where there's a will, there's a way. If you're not going to try it. So is this a condition that we're not thinking about Jummah? What about tarbiyah of awlad? What about all the bayan that I just spoke about? Who's going to think about this? Very few people. So this is what we all need to wake up now. Because the environment we're leaving our kids and our generations is just becoming more challenging and more difficult day by day. I beg Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He wakes us up before it's too late. And that He grants us the ability to focus 
on leaving behind a legacy of raising our children to be amazing, righteous people. And may He grant us the ability to dedicate them to deen, right? And may He enable us to teach them the deen. And may He allow us, those of us whose children have gone old and we are not able to make an effort, may He allow us to then make lots and lots and lots of dua. And then may He allow us to, raise, to support other children who are studying the deen so that those children can become a means of, of sadaqah jariah for us. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow the ummah, the leaders, the scholars, and the, the uh, general community members to wake up, to see where we're headed, and for all of us to start making a fikr and concern of establishing deen in our homes. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He grant all of us a connection with the Qur'an, uh, grants us the ability to recite it profusely, grant us the ability to understand its meanings, grant us the ability to practice its teachings and to propagate it to others. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi subhanakallah alhamdulillah ilaha illa nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk I want to remind every one of you that this weekend the Tafim program is beginning so after hearing all of this if you don't go make an effort on your kids and yourself then I don't know what to say go call your brothers and sisters who've got nephews and your nephews and nieces all across the globe across the globe they can study from wherever they are just like the winter intensive was attended by so many people all of us should go home this week and message people to say please join Fiqh of marriage and divorce. Who's going to teach that? Who's going to teach? Why, why are marriages lasting for three weeks and three days? Tell me. Because they didn't have money? Because they weren't earning enough? It's because they don't know anything about the deen. They don't know how to treat their husband. They don't know how to treat the wife. That's why it's not going to last. So that's one of the courses that's being taught by Banan Uthman, amazing instructor. He's going to be teaching Fiqh of marriage and divorce right? this, uh, this semester. We have another amazing class called Misunderstood Verses of the Qur'an. All the people who quote ayats of, 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 of hitting of, uh, from the Qur'an. Or uh, ayah of the inheritance between men and women. Or uh, ayah of jihad and qital. And we get confused. We don't know how to answer it. Well, this is the time for you to study. That class is going to be taught this semester. Misunderstood verses of the Qur'an. Fiqh of halal and haram. All right? uh, it's a notable, what you call, a, uh, a hist- a historical, great, notable Islamic heroes. Why do they run after Superman? Because our kids don't know Islamic heroes. We, you, we have any, those are fake. We don't need Spider-Man and Iron Man. When we have amazing real heroes, we don't know about them, nor do our children. It's all there. How are we going to ever want to become like them if we don't read about them? So I want all of you, sisters, brothers, those who are listening here on site and those who are listening online, to make a commitment with me. Make a commitment with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That you will inshallah enroll in one of those classes. It's three on Saturday, three on Sunday. And your recordings are accessible. PowerPoints are accessible if you miss it. And this is because of COVID, we're offering it virtually. Otherwise, we didn't. And number two, don't just benefit yourself. Please, please reach out to family and friends and encourage them, push them, bug them. The way if you need something, how they bug you or you bug them. Well, this is your need that your relatives stay connected to the deen. This is your need. So I ask all of you to do that. Inshallah, say inshallah, you'll do this. All right. Subhanallah, bihamdi, subhanakallah, bihamdi, inshallah, ilaha illa, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilaykas. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.